Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Curiosity.com. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn about how quadruple helix DNA could help us fight cancer, how diversity improves technology with material scientist Anissa Ramirez, and how cats domesticated themselves. Let's satisfy some curiosity. In school, you probably learned that DNA is a double helix. You know, that spiral ladder structure where the rungs are the A's, T's, C's, and G's that code for all your traits? That, by itself, is really impressive. But guess what? Quadruple helix DNA also exists, and understanding exactly what it does might help us fight cancer. Scientists have known about quadruple helix DNA since the 1960s, But it wasn't until 2013 that a group of scientists first identified quadruple helix DNA in human cells. Quadruple helix DNA mostly happens in sequences that are rich in G bases. That G stands for guanine. While G bases can form pairs with A, T, and C bases, it likes to form quartets with other G bases. Stacks of these quartets are what form quadruple helix DNA, which is why these DNA strands are also called G quadruplexes. Not only does it sound cool, but 4G was already taken anyway. Scientists don't know exactly what G quadruplexes do, but they are 100% confident that they don't turn you into the Hulk. They know that because while G quadruplexes are rare, they seem to form in human cells normally as the cells divide. Learning about this is not just obscure theoretical work either. Getting a grasp on the functions of G quadruplexes might take our understanding of cancers to new levels. That's because as cancer cells divide, they tend to form a lot more G quadruplexes than normal cells do. Recently, scientists were able to spot G quadruplexes as they interacted with proteins called DNA helicases. These are the proteins that the cell uses to unzip its DNA as it's dividing. To spot this, researchers injected a chemical into living cells that causes G quadruplexes to glow so they're easier to spot. They injected this dye into both normal cells and cells that couldn't produce the DNA unzipping proteins. What they found is that the cells without the helicases produced more G quadruplexes than the ones that didn't. That suggests that DNA helicases are responsible for breaking down these strands of quadruple helix DNA. There's still a long way to go before scientists figure out exactly what's going on. But given the role that G quadruplexes seem to play in cell division, understanding how to make drugs that can bind to these weird structures could potentially allow for the development of new cancer treatments. You can't expect one person to know what everyone else needs. Yet a lot of the time, we expect one kind of person to create technology that works for all kinds of people. And that leads us to technology with blind spots. Today, Anissa Ramirez is back one last time to tell us about some of the strange places those blind spots show up and how more diversity in science and technology can make future tech better. Anissa Ramirez is an award-winning scientist and science communicator and author of the book, The Alchemy of Us, How Humans and Matter Transformed One Another. We started by asking her, Do we know how technology is transforming us right now? The technologies that are ahead, such as driverless cars and facial recognition uh, software, those are things that we're discussing now, and we're already seeing how they're shaping us. In driverless cars, there are decisions that are being made that are ethical decisions. 
that are embedded in the code. Uh, an example of that is that if the car is about to have an accident, it will make a decision of where it's going to go. Is it going to hit that person or if it's going to hit that person? I don't know if code should be making those decisions. So those are some of the things that we should be keeping an eye on. And also with facial recognition software, we're seeing a lot about how there is some bias based into the facial recognition software. Even smaller inventions. Uh, so I'm African-American and I have sometimes when I want to wash my hands with an automatic faucet, uh, there is some bias built into it because the lighter side of my hand is my palm. And so the light sensor will detect that, but it won't sense the darker side of my hand. And so the, the water will not come out. Right. And I know in your book, you talk a little bit about things like that that have happened in history with technology, right? Like it's not just now when we have automatic sensors that are looking for a certain skin tone. I mean, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. So this bias in technology, you know, we, we have blind spots because we just don't think about how this thing will be in the world. That's how scientists think. And so while writing The Alchemy of Us, I found out that photography, early photography, and I mean color photography, used to have a bias in it, meaning that it was uh, well-developed uh, and specialized for people who had lighter skin. But if you had darker skin, if you were from the Mediterranean or if you were of Asian descent or if you were Latinx or if you were African-American like myself, you weren't depicted as you would be in real life. That's because the formulation was optimized for lighter skin. This was identified in the 60s and the filmmaker didn't really make any changes to it. But it wasn't until there were confectioners, uh, chocolate makers and furniture makers that wrote and talked to those film manufacturers and said, look, you need to change the formulation because people cannot determine the difference between these various types of chocolate or these different strains of wood for our furniture. And so then that formulation was shifted. But this story just illuminates that the people who were developing the chemistries for this photography just didn't do a broad swath of tests for a range of hues and demographics when they developed their film. That's incredible. And that's happening right now these days with Twitter and its auto cropping tool with its images, right? That's right. And it's the same problem. If you have a certain demographic making a technology, they may be testing it on themselves or maybe on a few friends of theirs, but they're not testing a wide variety of people. And that's what we need to do. And, and what this speaks to is that we need to do testing where we're looking at a wide swath of people, but we also need to have diverse groups working on something so that these blind spots don't happen. Right. I, I still can't get over the fact that they changed it because of chocolate. It's just <laughs> <laughs> well, advertising money, you know, yeah. uh, you know, the, the these advertisers spent a lot of money on that film. And so they said, OK, you know, it, it wasn't about black or white. It was really about green, you know, the color of American money. So that's what motivated them. And, and hopefully we'll learn from that lesson that it doesn't need to be that way. We just need to have diverse groups working on things. Exactly. Again, that was Anissa Ramirez, an award-winning scientist and science communicator and author of the book, The Alchemy of Us, How Humans and Matter Transformed One Another. You can find a link to pick it up in today's show notes. Cat owners know that cats train people and not the other way around. So it may come as no surprise to learn that kitty DNA reveals that humans didn't actually domesticate cats. Cats domesticated themselves. Even more surprising, your fuzzy couch companion doesn't have many genetic differences from a stone-cold wildcat. That's according to a comprehensive survey of cat genetics performed back in 2017. 
Researchers analyzed the DNA of more than 200 cats spanning the last 9,000 years, including cat remains from ancient Romania and ancient Egypt, along with modern African wildcats. They found that our domesticated feline friends come from one of two major lineages. The initial line of ancestors began as early as 4400 BCE, somewhere between Europe and Southwest Asia. These cats had probably followed their rodent prey to farming communities around 8,000 years ago. And because their rodent hunting was a win-win for both cats and humans, they hung around. The second lineage probably began around 1500 BCE when Egyptian cats successfully spread throughout the Old World. The researchers think these cats probably had traits that made them likable to humans, like sociability and tameness. The researchers didn't find a distinct change in the cat's genetic makeup until the Middle Ages, which is the first time tabby cats with blotched or striped coat markings show up. These markings probably got their start in the Ottoman Empire in Southwest Asia, then became common in both Europe and Africa. The coat only became associated with domesticated cats in the 18th century. House cats weren't even bred for specific traits until the 19th century. Why so late? Probably for the same reason we rarely train cats to fetch. We rely on dogs for specific tasks, so humans quickly figured out they could breed them to be better at those tasks. Cats, not so much. According to the lead researcher, breeding wasn't necessary because cats were already perfect. I agree. Not that I'm biased or anything. Yeah, sure. Cats are so perfect. <laughs> They've never done anything wrong. I mean, I like cats, but you're definitely biased. I'm definitely biased. <laughs> Let's do a recap of the stuff we learned today, starting with the fact that researchers have found quadruple helix DNA in human cells. G quadruplexes, because there's four Gs, seem to form more often when cancer cells divide than when normal cells divide. And that means if we can learn more about why this is happening, then we might be able to develop drugs that can bind to those structures, which could someday lead to new cancer treatments. Not a bad deal. Yeah. Little behind the scenes about this story. I actually worked really hard with the writer Cameron Duke to figure out a way to describe what G quadruplexes look like. And it's just it's very hard to describe, mostly because they come in a whole bunch of different forms. So sorry about that. You can check the show notes and there are a few different press releases with different diagrams of what these look like. But yeah, once you see those pictures, you'll kind of understand why it's it's not really the easiest to just describe. And we also learned from Anissa Ramirez that when we develop new technology, even the smartest people have blind spots. And that's why it's important to have diverse teams working together to fulfill everyone's needs. Furniture and chocolate made us get better film i just don't i it's still blows my mind you were so freaked out by the photography stuff <laughs> i was that's weird like you're taking pictures of humans and it's the chocolate and the furniture that makes people go oh wow yeah we got to fix this a little bit more diversity can help a lot of people in a lot of different ways better solutions is what we're going for definitely we also learned that cats domesticated themselves and they have more or less the same DNA as their wildcat ancestors. They probably followed rodents to farming communities about 8,000 years ago and stuck around because, I mean, humans didn't really mind the pest control. And humans also like that a lot of cats were sociable and tame. And that brings us to where we are today. Locked in Ashley's bathroom. 
<laughs> Why must you torture your cat? Yes, 8,000 years of evolution locked in my bathroom. <laughs> it's so sad. She's got food in there. She's just fine. She's just fine. And as soon as I let her out, I give her all the cuddles. I promise. I mean, you've told her not to meow while you're recording. I've told her. And you've told her not to scratch on your door when you put her outside the room. So, I, you know, there's only so many things you can do. Right. We need to breed cats for podcasting. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta breed cats that are better listeners. That's right. That's right. No, I, I love my kitty so much. She's perfect. I just have to, you know, find ways to live with her. <laughs> you spoil that cat silly oh i just really a little bit of quiet time in a restroom while we're recording once a week is not quite the end of the world yeah today's stories were written by cameron duke and anna todd and edited by ashley hamer who's the managing editor for curiosity daily script writing was by cody goff and sonia hodgen today's episode was produced and edited by cody goff join us again tomorrow when we let the cat out of the bag or the bathroom to learn something <laughs> new in just a few minutes. And until then, stay curious. <laughs>